Welcome to Anyone Can Play Guitar, the podcast where we learn every Radiohead song on guitar in order. My name is Austin Diaz. And I'm Nick Kendallsperger. All right, Nick, so we are diving into the guitar-laden middle of Radiohead's supposedly Electronica album. That's right. There finally is a guitar, right? Yeah. A, a discernible guitar. Last week, we had to really adapt what we were doing to deal with the songs, um, which was not the case this week. Yeah, we could actually play some of these on acoustic guitar by ourselves, Yeah, and it would sound pretty good. Right. I even recruited new fans to Radiohead. My nine-month-old is in love with the first song we're going to talk about. Yeah, I saw the video you sent, and uh, he was getting really into it. He will crawl from the opposite side of the apartment if I start playing that song. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good sign. And then you start singing it, and uh, yeah, you might give him a complex for the rest of his yeah. life, but that's fine. I'm his father telling him, I am not here. <laughs> this isn't happening. Let's just get right into yeah. it, right? Yeah, Let's so we're going right to in. dive into the, what, fourth song in the album... How to disappear completely. This is I, this is one of my favorite songs on the album. Um, it's one of the favorite songs that I saw them do live. They did it twice. I saw them twice on the Kid A tour and on the Amnesiac tour. And this song is just amazing. I just love where this song takes you. Where does it take you? Anywhere that is not where I am. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it is the quintessential escape song. There's something so cinematic about it, like more cinematic than the songs in the past where they've been really trying to write almost like a score. I feel like this is kind of the step up from exit music or even, dare to say it, talk show host. They're not driving a plot like they were in those past songs. There's not like this build up plot. It's just like it kind of stays the same and it just slowly builds on you. And then all of a sudden crashes over in that third verse and then just sort of drifts off. It comes at sort of the perfect time at Kid A because as we explained on the last episode, those first three songs are all crazy and disorienting in their own way. And then all of a sudden you hear an acoustic guitar Mm -hmm. strumming sort of strumming in a way that is not would not have been out of place on OK Computer. So you have all of a sudden a little familiarity come in, mm-hmm. but then that's immediately <laughs> subverted by the strings yeah. and the sort of atmospherics. So first of all, the verse doesn't have what is essentially the tonic of the song. It feels uneasy even if you just play the acoustic guitar chords. Mm-hmm. But then when the strings come in, I think the song is in A, the key of A. You only get that at the chorus. Uh-huh, right. Right. When the strings come in, they're also playing A sharp. Those strings are so weird. 
And I don't understand how they got it to make it work. So it, it's so disorienting in a way that the previous three songs were too. And so it's like they figured out a way to make it strange, to make one of their old songs strange. So like, I mean, but it's sort of just looking at it slant again. For example, like when we talked about everything is right place, like you just have that C chord and then it's like sort of slanted up into that D flat major seven. And so, yeah, they're yeah. just sort of like tilting the frame slightly. So it's almost, yeah, it is familiar. I mean, and like, and it's an easy part, right? You know, and then, and it's like the same. I, I, I do want to say on a previous season, you mentioned how much you hated the sort of pull off. We were talking about polyethylene, I believe at the time. Ah, I just like, I just hate that with the D. Okay, so it's just... this one's fine. Because it is a D chord, actually, with the capo, shh, but... Shh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to point out every time... Every time I lie. Uh-huh. No. Um, <laughs> but is that the same? Is that the same? It's not the same. It's not the same. No, it's not the same, Nick. Okay. It's not a pull-off, to- right? I mean, like, you're not, it's not like, I would maybe like, I would maybe not like that, like. Okay. But it's like. I mean, it's not, you're not pulling off, you're just like stepping up the chord. I'm glad we, we figured that out. I guess we should point out that this is a song sort of inspired by one of Tom's breakdowns, mm-hmm. which he's very open about. He says that he had a dream where he was flying around Dublin. And he told this to Michael Stipe from R.E.M., who gave him the words that uh, you should just lock yourself in a room and say, I'm not here, this isn't happening, when uh-huh. you feel that overwhelmed. That story with the that it happened in Dublin or whatever, like the Irish Times, I don't know if you've read this review of Kid A, in the Irish mm-hmm. Times. They were not happy about this. How to disappear completely. Details the pain and isolation Tom York felt when he played a concert in front of 30,000 Irish fans of the RDS in 1997. He describes the feeling of floating down the Liffey and concludes, that's not me, I'm not here. This song captures Kid A in a nutshell. An inert, emotionless cloud of sound floating in the air full of anguish and agony, but empty of substance. Perhaps that was the effect York was trying to achieve. You forget, or I forgot, like, that the British press, like, hated this album. And Irish. Sorry, I, sorry. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm very sorry. We're very sorry, Ireland. Yeah, I feel like NME gave it, like, a 7, which I think they had given OK Computer a 10, so it was, like, a huge... I understand a little bit of it coming from the British press, especially because... There are no pop songs at all on this album. And you can understand how they can be like, this is just a, you know, a load of pretentious garbage. Mm -hmm. But to me, (laughs) I find this song intensely not personal. I find this song so moving Mm -hmm. that I know which I know what the Irish press guy was trying to say that it signifies nothing. But my God, when you've read a lot of English literature, especially James Joyce, Oh, I guess we got to correct that again, because that is not, you cannot say that James Joyce is English literature. He's an Irish author. My God, (laughs) we're going to get just roasted in Ireland. Yeah, we have lots of fans. (laughs) We're really sorry, Ireland. We're trying our best. Hey, at least we caught ourselves. 
it just reminds me of The Dead, that short story collection mm-hmm. that Joyce did. And it Well, it's the Dubliners, so but The Dead is the last story. That's right, yeah. You know, like at the end of that story, it's it's a very sort of you can follow along, and then at the end of that story, it feels like your soul just kind of floats away. It reaches into this idea that we don't really know each other that well. We're all just sort of humans that are trying to understand each other. And, you know, at the end, it says his own identity was fading out into a gray and palpable world. The solid world itself, which these dead had one time reared and lived in, was dissolving and dwindling. Oh, man, yeah, Anyway, we're way off topic now, but yeah. I reject the Irish Times writer that this is a meaningless <laughs> excursion. Yeah, I mean, but I think that it's also, I mean, like Tom York is kind of going for a meaninglessness here, but a meaninglessness that has substance to it. To disappear is to try and become meaningless. Like he, after like all everything with OK Computer and success and like all this huge tour, like he didn't want to mean anything anymore. It feels in this song, he doesn't want to be Tom York anymore, right? He doesn't want to uh-huh. be what that means anymore. And like that, it, the song is going away from that, which is cool, but not if you want him to just keep writing the pop songs that he's written in the last three albums. It's a bizarre song because it's so simple in many respects. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this song is the most sonically impressive part of the whole album. I think it should maybe win the Climbing Up the Walls Award if we uh Do we have a, do we have a Climbing out. Up the Walls Award? I had been impressed with by the ending of Climbing Up the Walls. Ah, true. And I remember saying that that was, the, was just a sound mm-hmm. that was one of the most impressive parts of OK Computer. Even from the very beginning of How to Disappear Completely is really beautiful. But then once you get to like the third verse, when he's singing strobe lights and blown speakers, the strings just almost completely take over the mix. I just remember feeling overwhelmed as a teenager listening to that. I didn't understand what was happening. Isn't that so interesting? Because when I when I tried to sing that, sing along, right? Like you realize like if you want to sing along to that third verse like he just go his voice goes nuts gets really high and then the following chorus is also really high but because like the strings and take over like the listening experience is like the voice that you've is one of the reasons that you love radiohead is like react subsumed mm-hmm. into the mix very purposefully i think that like even when he's being his most yorkian in his vocals, like he is disappearing into the song. Yeah, it's it's this idea that you can escape maybe through art or through expression and get away from yourself. I mean, which touchbacks on like the T.S. Eliot idea that we talked about last episode that like you can use art to escape from the personality that you have. And those that have a personality understand why one would want to get away from it. <laughs> is what he says. I'm paraphrasing. I yeah. should have looked up the direct quote. I didn't. Oh, man, we haven't even talked about yeah, the yeah. bass yet. I know. I was just oh thinking. Oh, my gosh. This is one of the most unexpected bass lines that I can remember. The first time I heard Kid A was through these blips, which were these little videos that they released before. But I was listening to those musical clips on terrible computer speakers. And so the first time I heard this song... I was like, oh my God, what's that bass? Where'd that bass come from? <laughs> yeah. I was actually hearing it on a stereo. It's so strange. 
right, there you go. But it's in 6-4. So the song is in 6-4, six, six, or 6-8, but right. it's playing four notes per measure. It doesn't go with the waltzy kind of nature of the song. It goes against it. Right, which I don't, well, I don't get it. I don't get it either. I mean, I assume that's probably Colin, but I don't know that for sure. It fits and it doesn't, right? It's the same way with how the strings are kind of like on this A sharp. I feel like the bass line's like almost walking in the other direction of the song. The song is going one direction, like down the river, and like the bass line is like, all right, I'll see you. Maybe not. And I'm going to go this mm-hmm. way, up the riverbank the other way. It's one of my favorite aspects of the song. Yeah, I guess that's true. It's exactly like the strings in that. The, for the first time on the album, you get a strummed acoustic guitar. Almost could be like the bends even. And then every other aspect of the song is just trying to throw you off. Right. It's like pulling at the typicalness of the song. And then at the end, it does feel like when the strings really come in that he gets taken on away or at least personality gets vanquished right at the end when he's singing so high that i couldn't even pretend to get that high yeah ah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean but he's following that like one uh music that i looked at it, like it said it was a clarinet that's doing this line but i don't know oh really a clarinet yeah yeah, I don't know if the own Martineau is there as well. I think it is. Of course um, it's there. <laughs> of course it's there. It has to be. It's contractually <laughs> obligated to be there. Like Johnny put it in the contract. <laughs> <laughs> I will be playing this on every song. So this is like a high point for you. I mean, I mean the first three songs are phenomenal, right? And But they weren't phenomenal the first couple times I listened to it. Just because okay. he's thrown off so much. And then like this song sort of anchored you, but in a really uneasy way, or anchored me at least. I think with this song 20 years ago, I better understood what they were doing or like what they were going for as opposed to like just being completely lost in it. Like it helped me understand the whole album better. I don't, I don't know if I would say it's a high point now. I mean, it's still one of my favorite okay. songs, but I don't know if it's the high point. In an interview, Tom said that this is his favorite song, I think from like 2005, 2006, or the most beautiful song. I can't remember exactly how he phrased it, but it means a lot to them too. It, de- it definitely means a lot to me. I can still picture those live performances of this song sitting on the grass at the concert. You know, because you just sat okay. down. You just sat down. Everyone just sat down when they started playing yeah. this song. It's like people are moving around, maybe a bit moshing and stuff like that. But like, no, you just sat to take in this song. Okay, listen to this other line from The Dead. The air of the room chilled his shoulders. He stretched himself cautiously along under the sheets and lay down beside his wife. One by one, they were all becoming shades. Better pass boldly into the other world in the full glory of some passion than fade and wither dismally with age. (laughs) Yeah. I remember my first introduction to that short story was actually through Kyle, who I guess goes by Jonathan now when we lived together senior year and he would like, I don't know if he'd already read it. I hadn't read it before that, but like he would avoid reading that story, even though he knew he had mm-hmm. to, because he would just send him near comatose for a couple of days. He would just like lay on the couch or like not even come out of his room. And I was like, what is this story? And then I read it and I go, Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> Understandable. It's all, it's all hopeless. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, let's move on. Okay. Um, to a completely different kind of song. 
This is Tree Fingers. think that there was any way to play this song i didn't think that even they quite knew how to play it mm-hmm. what happened is that ed was coming in and making these guitar loops he just got a pedal where he could just sort of play chords forever <laughs> so it's the sustain on the guitar chords was sort of infinite tom recorded him doing that tom was able to isolate different chords and if you break the song down you realize that there are actual guitar chords here, but you don't hear the first part of the chord. You don't hear the... Right, you just hear the sustain. You just hear the sustain. And so on Ultimate Guitar, I was able to find that someone had actually gone and written down all the chords. And so I was able to find the sort of music to it and play it. It doesn't sound anything like tree fingers because i don't have an infinity sustain pedal but to be able to break that song down and realize that it is actually a song and that there's a pattern to it kind of blew my mind i don't i don't know what the names of these chords are but it sort of goes like a then goes to then up here Now, that's much, much, much slower <laughs> on the record. but And then that repeats, and then there's other chords that are even crazier than that. And then there are other sounds that they have put on. I mean, I, I always liked Tree Fingers, and I think it works really well after a song like How to Disappear Completely, where there's sort of no emotional room to go. Mm-hmm. There's nowhere, you know, he's disappeared, he's gone. And so it's almost like he's going down into the underworld where time stops. It's sort of Tree Fingers almost suspends time. I have so many things to say about Tree Fingers. I don't even know where to begin. Um, <laughs> so I haven't brought the Beatles up yet this season, I don't think. Wow. Which is outrageous. Yet, yet this season, Nick, it's the second episode. I know. <laughs> you're like i've held out i've held out so this sounds nothing like the beatles at all kid a has similarities in with sergeant pepper in that they are both obsessed with sound they are able to make sort of normal sounds sound psychedelic or otherworldly and i think you heard it definitely on how to disappear completely to but Tree Fingers is the one I always think of, of like they've created a world that I didn't know existed through sound and that it's an ambient track, but it is such a headphone experience and it's really loud with a good pair of headphones. Like it vibrates speakers, right? It's this bizarre ambient track that is it has this like bass frequency. <laughs> I don't know how it works, but 
It's almost like a drugged up state of consciousness that you don't have to be on drugs to experience. It's interesting with this with this comment about time. Like it doesn't. I don't know if it stops time, but I read something recent recently in this book, Austerlitz from Vege Seibold. I don't know if you've read anything by him. He also wrote The Rings of Saturn. Uh, he's a German author. He's like really good English translations, but I'm reading reading it in German. But it talks about like it's actually a folly to compare time to a river. That would presupposes that it starts somewhere and then it empties into some place. But like, where does it empty into and where does time start, right? And so like, what's interesting with this song is that like, you have those chords, but like you said, you don't have the initial strumming of the chord. You right. just have like that after effect. Is it still a chord if it doesn't have right. a beginning? It's almost like more faithful to like what time might actually be. This sort of like oh, wow. sustain, like that doesn't have a beginning and it doesn't flow into something, but it's just like water that has no beginning and nor, nor a destination. If you like really pay attention to the track and sit there, it is a bizarre feeling to hear these sounds feel like they're moving at a glacial pace. When it cuts to another chord, it's like you're in a different place. I don't know, it's like a jump cut, almost. So, I have a question. Had you listened to music that was similar to this before Kid A came out? So, my only experience was with uh, David Bowie albums. So, in the 70s, on albums like Low and Heroes, the first half is sort of more song-oriented, and then you get into more ambient Mm -hmm. tracks. And I always found those difficult to get through. I, I, I do think that it, this is just recorded better than those tracks are. Yeah. But that's that's another... I mean, like, because this one is a, such a full-body experience. When you listen to things like Brian Eno's music for airports or music on land, and you can see that they were very inspired by things like that. I just ask cuz for me like I'd actually had already got into quite a lot of ambient music oh, like really? Brian okay. Eno and Aphex Twin. Like a lot of okay. people know that knew him in the 90s only for like that the uh, Come to Daddy song, but he had like a lot of ambient stuff out already. And I mean and I was in somewhat continued to be a fairly big 9-inch nails fan and they they are also mainly known for their like hard-hitting industrial tracks, but he has lots of ambient interludes. Oh, throughout okay. his so you were prepared I was for ready this. for this song and I was like oh they I immediately felt like they nailed it you can listen to an ambient track many times without really being mm-hmm. bored of it because you don't really follow it right like I would put it all in the background a lot but like once you get beyond like I don't know how you say it Otrek or Aphex Twin or Brian Eno or Nine Inch Nails like you get to people that are just using synthesizers they're not going through the somewhat laborious process of actually analog recording the music and if you just right. listen to ambient music that's created with synthesizers or on the computer, like it's just not the same. That speaker shuddering bass that you were talking about with this song, like you don't have that unless you're doing it with the actual instruments. Maybe it's gotten better recently, but I just remember when that song came out, I was like worried. And then I realized, no, they got it. I definitely think it took a little time for me to appreciate it because it's not a, a traditional song. There's no lyrics but i like it even more now than i did before Mm -hmm. and i guess even also i'm also a big tool fan and they have they have like songs where it's just not songs it's just like sound for a long time this reminds me of his um 
the packaging of Kid A is such so distinctive and all the images that were created to go along with it. And nothing sort of reminds me more of the Kid A and the Mesiac eras is that evil bear yeah. sort of icon. But I was really surprised when I looked back at the Kid A packaging and how there's not bears. No. Uh, it's all these landscapes. And then I think I, I found one kind of blurry bear <laughs> yeah. in one of the photos. And then all of that chaos is in is underneath the CD tray. Did you have one of the CDs that underneath was a secret booklet? Uh, maybe. I don't know. What? You don't remember this? Okay. So on many copies of the Kid A CD, if you physically removed the part where the seed, the plastic attaches to the CD, right. the case, if you took it apart, there was a secret booklet underneath it that had, it was very political and very angry, and it had all the little bears doing terrible things like shooting people with machine guns and <laughs> all oh. this kind of stuff. It just, this song reminds me of that in the way that Kid A, everything is at a distance, but there's a lot of beneath the surface that you can put into it. Right, okay. All right, well, let's move on because we spent more time on yeah, Tree Fingers than I, mean, I thought it would be We've been talking possible. a long time already. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> all right, next song is bringing us out with Optimistic. Drop those Ds, Austin. Been, I've been scared about this conversation, so I, I need you to start. Okay, well, this is probably the most traditional song on the album. They didn't release any singles from Kid A, but this was a f- radio focus track <laughs> that I don't know if it was ever played on the radio because it's a pretty strange song. But this is a song that sort of has, you know, a verse and chorus and all those things that all of these previous songs haven't had. In that way, it's not a song that I've ever, that's ever been my favorite on the album. I never skipped it. It sort of follows the electioneering slot. Okay. So it's, you know, after Fitter Happier, you got to get something that's a little more rockin'. Right. Get the, to, get the butts out of the seats. And so I've always seen it as sort of a transition track to the mm. second half. I am surprised how much I enjoyed playing it on guitar. Maybe because the other songs didn't have as many parts, but I, I found myself playing the song quite often. The like a. Uh and I find that really fun. I'm not sure if they nailed the production of it it's a little muddy but i do like it and i think it fits really well in the context of the album okay 
So lay it on me. I am I am relieved. Okay. <laughs> there will be uh, various points throughout this season during which I will argue for the primacy of Amnesiac. And my first uh, argument is that Amnesiac doesn't have this song because I despise it. You despise, I this, despise song. Okay. this song. I despise this. Led Zeppelin light. Ah, you got to give me examples. Come on. You can't just say... I don't know. I've not listened to Led Zeppelin in a long time because I don't like Led Zeppelin, but like that's exactly a Led Zeppelin song. I have good friends that I'm still good friends with, and they're really big Led Zeppelin fans, and they made me listen to Led Zeppelin all the time, and I didn't like it. And in high school, right? In high school. I mean, like, yeah. loved it. Loved yeah, Led Zeppelin. Yeah, of course. That's a big high school. I listened to a lot of Led Zeppelin. And then... Maybe, maybe, like physical graffiti era in Led Zeppelin? I don't know. We would have sleepovers and we'd watch that like video where like Robert Plant is like wandering through some sort of castle with a oh. candelabra. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to just say that I don't like the song without okay. giving reasons. I've been like piecing together the reasons why I don't like the song and I wish it wasn't on the album. I do it this way because I sent you a song. You sent me Kylie Minogue. <laughs> Can't get you out of my head. Which is a great song. Which is a great song, but like, how would but you I have des- no idea. How would you describe like, this song? Like, it's one of those songs that once you hear it, well, it's a very repetitive song, but it, it's like you can't stop. You just want to start dancing. I think as soon as you hear right. it, right? Like, you want to start moving. Okay. Well, you're going in the positive direction of the song, but like, the song is an earworm, right? Like, it'll just yeah. it just lodges itself in your head. Right, okay. and like earworms can be good, and like that is a good song, but like if that song is stuck in your head for too long, then you like hate it. Like I think there's like two different types of earworm songs. Right. There's like those that sort of reel you in, where like there's like a part of it that sort of like bubbles up, and then you're like, ah, I like that song, and then you actually have to consciously, actively engage with the song to think about it more. Like okay. an example might be September by Earth, Wind, and Fire. Like, that song is super catchy. It can get stuck in your head. But, like, if you really want to, like, think about the song, you have to go in because there's lots of different stuff going on, actually. Can't Get You Out of My Head by Kylie Minogue. That song can just spin in your head and you don't have to... Right, exactly. Any any part, like, that, that entire song can go through your head and you don't have to uh-huh. consciously engage with it. For me, unfortunately, I don't know if this is like it for you, but this song, like, that... It just gets stuck in my head. It like lodges in there hmm. and then it just spins because it's just, it's not comparatively speaking, it's not complex and it's repetitive. And especially the chorus, like that, this, that try the best you can part, mm-hmm. it'll just get lodged in my head and spin there because like the rest of the album isn't catchy in the same way. Like sometimes like this song sort of like envelops or like subsumes my kind of unconscious recollection of the album. I am okay with this, but I'm going to mount a semi-serious rebuttal. Got it. I just find this song genuinely terrifying. So I've been sort of very open to the rest of the album not having a political slant and being more subconscious, but this song is just bleak. So mm-hmm. I don't I've I've heard people talk about how the chorus is like a is actually optimistic, like you can try the best you can. But no, it's a, you can try the best you can, and that that's really as good as you're going to do. Right. And if you fail, then you're going to die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so it's sort of speaking to that idea of capitalism, of like, we can all just try the best we can, but that 
doesn't mean that things are going to turn out well for us at all. Mm -hmm. When he sings it, he sings it so high, impossibly high. I've been trying for weeks now to sing this part, and I gave up because I like I've been looking at videos online about trying to increase my high register. (laughs) (laughs) Like, am I just not singing right? But like, it's so high. So I find no comfort in this song. And so maybe that's why I'm okay with you not liking it. Because like, it's a very, sometimes I can't even listen to it. It was early on a skip track. The only one. It was one of those tracks where I thought like with this project that I would maybe like it more because there is like so much they can sneak, uh, sink your teeth into. Like that like. You know, like they're, like they're yeah. both running up and. But that, that part is just like, it's so simple. It's, it kind of made me upset. This is too simple. It's like so boring. I know that they could do this better. I will agree that that part, you know, is just a simple run up. I love the part that Johnny plays after that, where it goes ding. I figured I couldn't get it to work in standard tuning. And I looked it up and it's actually because the guitar tuning is insane or the high E is turned to a C or something. Yeah, And then when you do all of that tuning, you can make it. I I wish I would have done that beforehand, but I did it for the snippet that played before. Okay. I like that a lot. And then I do find the last 55 seconds of this song to be just brilliant. Okay. For most of the song, Phil's playing the drums with mallets. But then towards the end, he breaks it off, moves to drumsticks and does that and gets into it. And then when the it finally gets back to that beginning part, the like, which had been missing for a lot of the song. Mm-hmm. And then the song ends, and then it has one of the most bizarre link tracks that Radiohead has ever done, where it's this sort of like groove. <laughs> and honestly, that might be the best part of the whole song. <laughs> yeah, I agree. That's a good point. It's a good rebuttal, but I'm not going to like the song just for the end. I gotcha. But, and so I do like it a lot more than electioneering, but I will admit that this is probably my least favorite of the songs. This is definitely the least favorite of the songs we've discussed so far, including Tree Fingers. Yeah. No, I mean, it's definitely, for me, it's definitely lower than Tree Fingers. I think that I would dislike the song less if it was on another album. In in my recollection, I would think I would be fine with it on Hell to the Thief. But like just where it is, like it just it always sort of like threw me off in my experience okay. of Kid A as the album. I like how it functions. I think it, it does an electioneering thing where you need a song like this. I do think that Hail to the Thief is a good thing to bring up. I do think that maybe this song was done better on Hail to the Thief with They're There. Yeah. I think they were trying to do sort of the same thing and they nailed it on They're There, but that's, well, I haven't listened to that song. Yeah, I haven't listened to it for a long time, yeah. So I don't know that for sure, but but, that's something I would say. Okay. Yeah, but well, let's put a pin in that and make sure that we come back to that when we... Okay, we have a few pins that we need to pick up later on, but... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, but I think, I mean, maybe... I don't need it, or I, and I didn't need it back then because I, like I said, with the Tree Fingers con- discussion, like I was, I was there for the ambient stuff. So I didn't need, okay. I didn't need a track like this. I like, think I did at the time, and yeah. so 
I don't have that negative connotation of the song. Right. For me, like, yes, that groove part at the end of Optimistic uh, is pretty cool. And then transition into In Limbo, the next song is great. But it also works if you just go from Tree Fingers to In Limbo. Let's uh, move on then to In Limbo. we explained it at some point that we're doing it in a bit different where we're trying to record the songs before we sit down and talk right. about them and this was definitely like an eye-opening experience to oh for sure try to play this song like i hadn't i mean i like this song i've always liked the song but i hadn't paid that much attention to it how it works it's just it's like a song that you can kind of just let yourself be carried along with i mean mm-hmm. it's like a, has a nice groove or whatever but like man this song is hard no i totally created the bass track and tried to record the guitar and i was just like fuck it like let's make austin do that part and i was like and then it's like you threw it on the gauntlet i was like oh man nick's already recorded so many of these tracks i have to be able to do this guitar and i was just like ah you know it's like my it's so much fun to play like that But then you realize when you try to play along with the album, it's so much faster than you're <laughs> expecting. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> it like, was really hard is that, like, it's triplets, right? Like, it's 6-4 it's mm-hmm. and triplets. You pause there for a second. Oh, yeah, that's the, that's the that's, thing. That's the thing, that, that's the thing that was, like, throwing me off for, like, the first 20 times I tried to record this. I was like, what is... I can't get this. And I... One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. <laughs> but it's so seamless. Like when you listen to the song, like you don't hear that pause. It just seems no. like the notes just keep coming. I'm like, I am I really supposed to stop here for a second? My estimation of it is so much higher now. Skyrocket. Yeah. Skyrocket. I really liked this song a lot. Yeah. I was always mesmerized by it. Because it's it really does feel like you're lost at sea. That can feel very disorienting and you don't even know where to begin. But then when you learn it on guitar, you're like, oh, it has this pattern. Mm-hmm. And then once you get the pattern down, but then they yeah, they keep doing these weird things to throw you off, like that pause in the guitar, in the opening guitar bit, and then in the verse is insane. Right. I mean, it, like it, one, it like changes time signature, right? I mean, like, I think right. you had to then patch that back in because it's so hard to go from the 6 4 to the. It's hard to like change because it's like almost the same, right? Like. And then singing it was impossible because it's so high. Yeah. <laughs> Come back. I'm a. Right. <laughs> this is one of those songs that I I think 
when I first got the album, this was the song that was the hardest to get into for me because of the time signature, but now it's one of my absolute favorites on the album. It totally goes in with the first half of the album that we were talking about, where it feels like you're going into a different world, or you're living in a fantasy world. <laughs> right. That's my favorite line. You know, like, and just the delivery yeah. of that, like, you're living in a fantasy, you know, like... They're not, it's yeah. not, it's not like a admonition or anything. It's just like, that's what it is. Like it's, and, and that again is so strange in how it's the timing of it goes. Cause I was trying to sing it. Mm-hmm. So you think it would be, you're living in a fantasy world, but it's not, it's you're living in a fantasy world. <laughs> like <Right. laughs> it holds off. Like it, it stretches longer than you think it would. Mm-hmm. So everything in the song is just letting you follow along until the end and then it trips you. It definitely feels like you're being engulfed by a wave. Interestingly, this is a song that I I spent a lot of time trying to sing and my daughter is very much like, why are you singing like you're going to die? <laughs> <laughs> So they always shut the door on me when I was trying to sing this. And, you know, like this was one of the first songs they recorded. It's like a song that is an example of when a band is searching for something Mm -hmm. and doesn't really know where to go. Because this is a very, very uncommercial song. I love everything else that's in the song, too. I don't know if that's a a keyboard part at the beginning that like, yeah. The version I sent to you is very straight, but then... In the snippet you'll hear, you have to accent different notes in that line. Right. So it's like... I guess that gives sort of some stability to the song. I'm so happy you like this song. I just like... I was going to be very upset. I had this whole thing about how this was actually a brilliant song. And I was worried that you were going to come down on it. Oh, yeah. And no, so I was, I've was. i just been worried the whole I was, like, worried that you really liked Optimistic. And I was like, oh, no. But no, this is, no, I love this song. And okay, this, yeah. especially with this project, it's, like, really increased my appreciation of this song. I think we're on the same page with this one, which is a good note to, to end the episode on. Yeah, I think so, too. We'll end it. So we had a little minor dust-up, but... We didn't, it wasn't actually People that like bad, the dust-ups, it seems like. People like the dust-ups? Okay. <laughs> And so next week, we're going to get into Idiotech, Morning Bell, and Motion Picture Soundtrack. All the songs on the Anyone Can Play Guitar podcast are by Radiohead and performed by Nick Kendallsberger and Austin Diaz. Mm-hmm.